Yes, Lord, um, we agree with that. Grant us peace, even now. I pray that you would clear away anything that clutters our minds or distracts us from hearing your voice. Um, come now, Lord, speak to us and um, with us and let your peace rule in our hearts and our minds. Help us to be, keep us in perfect peace as, um, as, our, eyes, <clears throat> as our eyes are stayed on you. Through Christ, amen. So the past eight years or so, I have been um, working as a hospice chaplain, palliative care chaplain with the Denver Hospice. And so now I work here part-time and there part-time, and I've met with a lot of different people from all kinds of backgrounds. And there's one common conversation that I have almost with everyone. And the conversation has to do something like this. Are you at peace with God if they acknowledge him? And are you at peace with other people? Are you at peace as you're coming to the end of your life? And what happens is I can tell very easily if they're not at peace with God, if they're not at peace with others, they're not at peace with themselves. They're not able to really enjoy the, end, the ending of their lives because there's something blocking that. And so as much as they allow me, I work with them to process through how can we take steps toward peace before you leave this world. It's not always easy, but it's really important. And one thing that I've asked myself over and over is why do people wait till the very end of their lives? Why? Why wait to have peace to the very end? Oh, I better hurry up and make peace. I mean, it's great that they have some time to, to figure that out. If you get hit by a bus, it's, you don't get that <laughs> option. Um, and yes, I get a little callous by being around death all the time. I'm sorry. Uh, but um, there is a gift to having that time at the end to make peace. Um, but why do we wait? I mean, we, we're all familiar with this picture at, uh, you know, a grave, gravestone that says R.I.P., rest in peace. But why don't we try something different? Why don't we try L.I.P.? That would be so much smarter and better and more satisfying. I've decided to see if it'll catch on. L.I.P., right? Um, <laughs> see, if it'll, see if it'll catch on. Live in peace. Um, that would make our lives better. But, you know... It takes an art, it takes um, learning to become a peacemaker. Uh, before we delve into what it means to be a peacemaker, I wanna make sure that I delineate between peace and peacemaking. Um, when, when we, I had you greet each other with shalom today, um, that's the Greek word for peace. Irene is the, he, I, I mean, shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. Greek is um, Irene, which was my grandmother's name. Um, and th both of these words have the idea of wholeness and completeness. And specifically, um, in, in shalom, there's a, a sense of wholeness and completeness in a relationship. And so, um, but there's, there's a difference, like I said, between um, peace and peacemaking. And I was trying to think, how can I explain the difference between these two? And a verse popped in my mind early this morning, um, and the reason it popped in my mind is because of Sunday school when I was a little kid, and I'm gonna test you to see if anybody goes as far back as I do into Sunday school days, um, 
I, I'm, there's a verse, 1 John 4, 7, and 8, that I learned as a kid in Sunday school with a little song. Did anybody else besides me remember this? It goes like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. Anybody know it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's kind of a, I mean, it's not a great song, um, but what's great about it is um, that it actually stuck in my head. So now I have this, in the, I learned it in the King James Version, but now it's in my head. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So here's this relationship. Uh, we can see that there's an action that springs out of a connection to a source. So we actively love and we grow in learning to love only because we're connected to and born of God, who is the source of love. If we don't love, we aren't connected. Because if we are connected, we will love. And peace, just like love, is a fruit of the Spirit. So when we act as peacemakers, um, the connection to God is obvious. Um, in fact, Jesus said in his very first sermon, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So if we're connected to him as his children, then we will become peacemakers. It just will happen. But just like um, there's an action that springs from that connection, um, that uh, the, the connection has to happen first. The action comes out of that. But the action is something that we grow in and we learn. We don't just automatically know how to be a peacemaker. We don't automatically love well and make peace well. It's something that we, we grow into over time. The Lord helps us to do that through the connection with him. When I'm meeting with my patients in their homes, I start out with that connection to God and say, you wanna make peace? I mean, if they'll let me, if they'll talk about it. Um, first, let's talk about your connection because God's the source of our peace. And so you can't make peace in other ways unless you have that connection first. Um, but for the sake of time today, I'm not gonna talk about how to make that connection with God. Uh, I'm gonna talk about what springs out of that connection, which is pe making peace with others. Um, and when I look around, I think, you know, peacemaking is such an important thing. It's such a good thing. Why don't we do it more? Why are, why are we not actively pursuing peacemaking? And this is where I'm asking you to participate. Why do you think we don't? Take your time. I've got all day. <laughs> it's what, afraid of rejection. Mm -hmm. What else? It's uncomfortable, yeah, uncomfortable. We get angry, yep. Lynn? And we don't want to let go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pride, oh yeah, oh yeah, because I'm always right, you know. Anybody else? Um, I mean, there's a lazy part of me that just says, it's, um, there's fear, there's pride, but there's a lazy part of me that just says, you know, it's, it takes time and trouble. It's, a lot, it's time and trouble to, to work through what in psychology they talk about as the, the tunnel of chaos. And they say a lot of people, they plateau in their relationships because they're not willing to address certain things because to address certain things, they have to go through a tunnel of chaos. 
I don't know about that tunnel chaos. Uh, who knows when I'll get out of it? Who knows how much pain it's gonna cause me? I don't really know if I wanna go in there. Maybe I'll just stay here and never really move forward or move from glory to glory like the Bible talks about. Remember this movie? This is one of my, uh, a movie I like a lot. What? I would have to say world peace. Definitely world peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs? That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And world peace. Thank you, Gracie Lou. And thank you, Stan. Well, so world peace, you know, I mean, that's, sometimes it just sounds nebulous, it sounds like a very PC thing to wish for, but not something that you actually intentionally learn about and take steps toward and grow and become, make mistakes, become better in. Um, you know, um, the Mennonites, Amish, and Quakers are often known for their pacifist views related to war, but not everyone is aware that the, how these groups specialize in the art of peacemaking, and they practice mediation in their own communities. There's a Quaker author that I read some really good things by. His name is Donald Green, and he was talking about how a real peacemaker is not passive, but active, and he says, a peacemaker confronts violence and brings it under God's judgment. And a peacemaker always sees an alternative to strife. He always pursues reconciliation, always understands the potential of God's mercy and grace. So peacemaking takes more than wishful thinking. It's an art, it's a skill. Because peacemaking is important to the Lord and vital to the community, here are some scriptures that, in case you're not convinced already, um, I want to share with you. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Jesus prayed to the Father in a, in a really intimate prayer. In fact, the longest prayer in the whole Bible in John 17, and, and the Son is talking to the Father, and he's saying, I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Then in Hebrews, <clears throat> we're given a challenge. Make every effort to live in peace with most people. Oh, wait, with everyone. Um, in the book of Psalms, we're given this promise. A wonderful future awaits those who love peace. So maybe peacemaking really is important. But I mean, how hard can it really be? 
Uh, you know, actually, if you look around the world, if it were easy, um, the world wouldn't be, the news wouldn't look like it does. When we see nation against nation, when we see political campaigns um, causing division within our own country, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of peace in our world today. So I don't think that peacemaking is as easy as we might assume. But there's some different ways that we could approach what's the best way to, to do peacemaking. I don't always know. I certainly do not have this all figured out. But I did learn something from a Seinfeld episode. Um, you know, George's father, um, he, he decided to make up his own holiday called Festivus. And he decided that one of the best things about this holiday would be a time for everyone to share their grievances with each other. See what you think. What? Nothing. It's a card from my dad. Dear son, happy Festivus. What is Festivus? It's nothing. It's nothing. When George was growing Jerry, up, no. his father no. hated all the commercial and religious aspects of Christmas, yeah. so he made up his own holiday. Uh, I'm out of here. Happy Festivus. It's Festivus. When George was growing up, no. his father... It's nothing. It's nothing. It's a stupid holiday my father invented. It, it, it doesn't exist. Happy Festivus, Georgie. Ah! A new holiday was born. A Festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> and at the Festivus dinner, you gather your family around and tell them all the ways they have disappointed you over the past year. And is there a tree? No, instead there's a pole. Requires no decoration. I find tinsel distracting. Is that the pole? George, Festivus is your heritage. It's part of who you are. That's why I hate it. Read that poem. I can't read it. I need my glasses. You don't need glasses. You're just weak. You're weak. Leave him alone! I find your belief system fascinating. <laughs> it's a Festivus miracle. <laughs> Welcome, newcomers. <laughs> the tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're gonna hear about it. You, Kruger, my son tells me your company stinks. Frank, no offense, but this holiday's a little out there. Kramer, you, you can't go. Who's gonna do the feats of strength? How about George? You know, maybe some of you are thinking, that is perfect. That is just the way to deal with conflicts in a relationship. You know, let's just put it all out on the table. And, um, you know, maybe this could work. Um, there are tendencies that we all have that um, can sabotage peace. But maybe that's what you want. Maybe you want to keep the fight going. You know, maybe it's kind of fun. To, maybe you like to stir the pot. Maybe you like to make the waves so other people can surf. You know, you're just that person that's in the group that's like, I'm going to start something, you know, and that could, you know, maybe that's how you want it. And so I want to give you some tips for keeping the fight going. So here's some, some good ways to keep that fire going in everybody. Make sure in your conversation that you are superior and sarcastic. Repeatedly correct minor details in the other person. Maybe even roll your eyes a few times just to convey that nice sense of, ha, 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 yeah, right. Also, make sure you're angry and defensive. Just dig your heels in against being wrong. Don't let anybody justify yourself no matter what. Hugh Prather says, I can either be right 
or have relationship. Don't choose relationship, choose being right. It's so much more satisfying. And let your ego lead. You know, our egos don't want to connect. My ego fo focuses on the past, on the future, and most of all, on me. I mean, that's what's important. Also, hang on to your high expectations of others and take offense when people don't meet your silent expectations and standards. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like a barred gate of a citadel. So keep your walls in place and don't get soft and yield. Also, be creative about the other person's motivations. Make up stories in your mind about why someone is acting the way they are. Oh, I know, they're probably thinking this about me, and they're probably, it's probably because of this. Make them really good, and make them go on and on in your head. Another thing is, just, you know, if the conflict, if you have to deal with a, with a conflict, if you have to deal with the issue at all, touch on it lightly, but then move on. And make sure that you dismiss it. Let the person know decisively, we are done with this topic. Maybe walk away, stomp off, but leave the mess behind, go forward, and then, you know, fake being cordial if necessary. Um, so um, these are some great ways Maybe some of you are thinking, is she allowed to say this terrible advice? Where is Peter? Does he have no control over her? Um, this is awful. But all right, let's just a little pause for group confession here. When you look at this list, um, just a little quick show of hands. Have you ever done any of these ever? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, um, yeah, some of you are so good, you haven't, you haven't done it, that's great. Um, boy, do I have a problem with you guys. Uh, <laughs> but um, anyway, these are things that will sabotage peace and will keep the fight going. And you know what, even though I know them, sometimes I do them anyway. In the heat of the moment, I just get, it's, it becomes about me and I slide into these things and, um, and, and then I'm sabotaging peace. So, so anyway, a few weeks ago, I went, out, I went to Bed Bath & Beyond, and I bought a shoe rack, um, pretty cheap. I had a, I had a coupon, and um, I was excited about it. And um, I brought it home, and Ted was actually over visiting me. And you know, I'm a liberated woman, and I was getting ready to put this shoe rack together. And um, so I opened it up um, and dumped the contents on the floor. and. Um, I was shocked and dismayed to see how many pieces there were for this one little stupid shoe rack. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't do, I don't do jigsaw puzzles. I don't do even complicated Lego sets. Oh, no, 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 I do pre-assembled. You know, I'm looking at the floor. They're all over the floor. How could this make a shoe rack? This is certainly something for something completely different. I'm thinking in my head, I'm gonna take, I'm stuffing these back in the box and I'm taking them all back. I'm buying something that is already made. Um, actually, very gallantly, Ted says, oh, I'll put that together, which was um, really points for him. Um, not for me, I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm out. Here's what I think. I think this happens with peacemaking. 
I think we dump out the mess on the floor and we look at all these pieces and we say, oh, oh, no, no, no. Too much time, too much trouble. I don't even think the, the dumb shoe rack is worth it. And I think we do that with our relationships, with peacemaking. It's too much. And so we walk away. And I think in churches, we become experts at being very cordial to people that we actually have a problem with. And we put on a nice smile, but underneath, we've already dismissed them and written them off. We've already got our judgment about them. And we've, in our minds, we've sort of got them at a hands, an arm's length, and they're never coming any closer. Because there's this issue. I haven't really done the work of peacemaking. I've just, I've just made a judgment about them, and now they can stay here, and I'll be pleasant. Um, I think we're good at that. But I don't think that that is the heart of Christ. I don't think, I think he wants us to go through these tunnels of chaos with him and work through it, even if it's kind of ugly and messy and hurts. So um, <clears throat> in preparing for this talk, I actually met with Mark Allen, who is a trained mediator. He works even in legal issues and things like that for the courts. And um, I had used him a few years ago in a relationship of mine where I needed help um, in making peace and he's really good. And we sat down over lunch together, and I, this is a shout out of thanks actually to him because some of these thoughts were churned up by that conversation with him. Just some good wisdom. Um, and I, I wanna share some of what I think are the pieces of peacemaking. Uh, but before I do, and before you tune me out, you could be saying in your head, Kathleen, you can't even imagine the pieces I would have to deal with for the conflicts that I have in my life. And there's no nice little sermon on peacemaking that's going to solve my impossible conflict. And I will be the first to admit that I have not resolved all the conflicts around me. Uh, in fact, I was talking in staff meeting about a classic failure that I had in peacemaking a few years back. Um, and it, it was really similar to a, a, to a Jerry Springer show, but it really did happen to me. I was... I had been asked, I was doing my residency at the University of Colorado Hospital eight, nine years ago. And um, I was, I do a lot of funerals and I had been asked to do some man's funeral. And so I met with his family and um, prepared the, the service and things. And, um, and at, the, at the funeral, um, the wife and children showed up, but then um, a second set of wife and children showed up. Um, of the same man um, who were two, there were two women who simultaneously were married to the same man, the man who died. Um, neither of them actually knew about the other until that moment at the funeral. Um, it was really lovely. It was, it was pleasant and um, peaceable. Um, actually, I think I've blocked some of it out because there was shrieking and yelling and cursing and I, I was thinking, I have no idea what to do. You know, let me just tell you, I did not swoop in with my peacemaking cape and save the day. Here's what I did. I eventually quieted them down enough to do a quick and awkward service for this dead man. And then I took off and said, not my circus, not my monkeys. You know, yeah. So um, 
I, I'm not saying that you listen to this sermon and, and it's all every, you're going to go into every single relationship and make peace. Um, it, it's just that what I am saying is that peacemaking is important to the Lord and he can help us grow in this to become peacemakers just like he is because we're his children. I do wish that peacemaking uh, relationships, peaceful relationships were automatic and pre-assembled, but they're usually not. So I want <clears throat> to consider what it takes, these pieces of peacemaking, um, and I'm going to throw these out. In a way, I'm dumping out these contents at your feet, and you're going to say, whoa, that's a lot of pieces. Um, but have at them. You know, there, there are a lot of pieces to peacemaking, um, and I'm going to just kind of share them. In fact, last night after I shared them, I had some people up in Evergreen say, I'd like to have these I'd like to look at these further. So if you're interested, I can email this to you or make copies of this if you would like to take this and meditate further on how to grow in becoming a peacemaker because I'm kind of going to hit you with lots of pieces. I'm dumping it right now. The first one, um, the first piece is really a no-brainer, and, and that doesn't mean I always do it. <laughs> um, listen thoroughly to both sides. Don't interrupt and allow silence. When, I, when, we, when we do speak, we should be honest and direct. We, we, we should acknowledge any weird vibes. And by that, I just mean it's okay to say somebody, maybe you don't know what the deal is between you and you feel something weird. And you say, and you, it's okay to say, hey, I'm not quite sure what's between us, but I want to I wanna talk about it. I wanna, um, maybe I've done something, it's total, I've totally missed it. Um, Mark Allen actually talked to me about diplomacy. This is part of peacemaking. And he said, diplomacy is not the same as honesty. Um, if part of diplomacy is framing what you say in a way that can be heard by the other person. And so if, if it feels like you're bumping up against a brick wall and someone's just kind of not getting you, not getting it, that doesn't always mean that you need to repeat it. It sometimes needs, means that you have to learn a little bit about diplomacy, framing it in a way that the other person can hear, or maybe at a better time when they can hear. The next piece of peacemaking is my personal favorite, um, mainly because the Lord drove this home to me um, in a very convicting way. The next piece is, well, actually, I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> it's a very shaming story to myself, but... Um, I had a friend, I have a friend back in Chicago, and she is a lovely woman, um, but she had some brokenness in her past, and in fact, um, her mother had post, postpartum depression and killed herself right after she was born, and I, I just think she just had a rough time um, growing up, and, and just as a result, there's been, she's a highly sensitive person, a, a lovely person, but lots of sensitivities, and it's easy to, um, she's easily offended, and um, I kind of have to walk on eggshells a little bit with her, or I have in the past. She's grown too. Uh, but usually, we would get into these little arguments because I was like a truth teller, um, and and I was also logical, and she was way more feeling, and I was more logical. And um, so when we'd get in these arguments, I would have my bullet points in my mind ready. Point A, this is why I'm right, and this is why I'm logically, it, you know, I know... My points are right, 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 in order, organized, logical. Um, and this is why you're dumb. 
and why you're oversensitive. Um, and so I'm going through this, I didn't say that, but my tone did. And um, in the middle of me explaining to her how right I was, um, I felt, and this hasn't happened to me very many times, but I really felt like God spoke to me in a, it, like, in a way that I could hear um, in my heart where he, he just said, you're wrong because you're hard-hearted. And um, I, was, I actually totally lost the train of everything. I, I stopped talking and it just grabbed me and I thought, oh, all my points are totally right but I am wrong in God's eyes because I'm hard-hearted. And that really, it, I don't know how to tell you how much that made an impression on me. And if you don't listen to any other points, take, grab this one. Because if you in a, in a conflict can be soft-hearted and humble, um, then you are halfway there. Another thing I would suggest in peacemaking efforts would be um, early in the conversation to express common goals for unity and connection. Um, the common goals, the things that you both agree on, the things where you say, you know, I want us both to feel heard, to, to be understood, to be equals. Um, I, I, I want there to be no weirdness between us. I want there to be no anxiety between us. My real hope for this conversation is that, and just express some of those things so it's like a, a point of agreement. Another thing um, to consider in, in peacemaking is to look at the damages honestly. Uh, Frances actually talked about this in, uh, in staff meeting, and she said it's kind of like a, a car assessor coming out after there's been an accident. And the car assessor has to slowly walk around the car and take notes and, yep, that's, you know, that's broken, that's dented, that is destroyed. Um, and the idea is that you don't cover up you don't undermine and you don't brush things off. So look at the damages in the relation, they're real. We hurt each other. And then, after looking at the damages, um, own your own wrongdoing clearly. Um, this Jewish philosopher, Maimides, teaches, I think, a really profound thing. He says, don't say I'm sorry, too easy. Don't say I'm sorry. Say I was wrong when I did this. And um, I think that that is, that's a stronger impact. It's owning it. It's being bold and owning it. Another thing um, that I learned from a relationship class that Frances did a few years ago, I just went to her first relationship class this morning, which is, if you haven't checked it out, it's really good. But there was something that I learned a couple years ago from a relationship class. I'm still working on relationships. Uh, but there was one thing that she taught in this old class that stuck with me, and it was a line to use. Um, and um, it's a one-liner that's very succinct, and it points to specific behaviors. Here's the line. Feel free to put this one in your back pocket. I've used it over and over. It says, when you do this, I feel this. When you do this behavior, I feel this. Um, it's an unarguable truth. You do this, I feel this. I think it's great. I, I think it's succinct. It keeps me from rambling on too long in an argument. It just kind of gets down to it. Another thing that I've been learning about peacemaking is um, to be willing to hear out anger. 
many of us, myself included, back away from, shy away from anger. When I was in my clinical pastoral education training for being a chaplain, um, I, was, I was challenged to hear out people's anger. In fact, to provide like an anger container and to think of your, as long as they're not being abusive to you, they're just letting out their anger, but just to, to hold, be a container for them and be willing to let them dump their anger into your container. And I had this actually happen in a, um, I thought, all right, I'll try, you know, if, maybe I'll try this out. And I had the perfect opportunity. I, was, I stopped in the hospital to, to do my rounds and um, I stopped in this um, man's room and his face was flushed and he was contorted and he's like, who are you? And I said, I'm the chaplain. Um, and he said, well, I am so mad about, um, and he starts going on about how mad he is about his treatment, about how long he's been in the hospital, about how ineffective this, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he had a lot to say. And um, he paused for a breath and I'm, you know, I'm sort of standing here like this, you know, I don't, I don't know this guy, he doesn't know me, I'm not saying anything. And um, he paused for a breath and looked at me, and I said, tell me more. What else happened? And he said, well, and then he spilled, man. He just, he, he went to town. Um, I was in there close to an hour, and didn't say much more than what I just told you. At the end of the visit, he said, he finally spent himself, and he took a big breath, and he looked at me and said, man, you were so helpful. <laughs> and I thought, well, that was, but it, he wasn't mad at me. He just needed to get it out. And I think honoring that, I think it's easy to quickly um, try to shut down people's emotions. Big girls don't cry. You know, um, like men don't cry. Shut down your emotions quickly. Shut down that anger. Instead of just let it go. Be a container for them. Then dump it when you leave. Another thing that I think is um, just, this is a great one. Um, when someone criticizes you, um, instead of arguing with them, acknowledge that they might be right. Because guess what? They might. They might be right. And it also is, it, well, in Proverbs 26, it says, don't argue with the foolish arguments of fools or you will become as foolish as they are. Don't argue with somebody else's opinion or judgment of you. Um, in fact, Mark Allen told me that the way he diffuses things a lot of times, the way he disarms people sometimes is if he has, he told me a great story about how somebody came and accused him of something and, and he said, yeah, maybe I should work on that. And, and they said, they sort of, they didn't have anywhere else to go because he just sort of acknowledged, maybe you're right. Maybe I should work on that. And it kind of quiets the other person. Um, it's a soft answer that turns away wrath. And I actually think it's a humble thing because it's not just to um, pretend pacify them. It's because they really might be. And we're supposed to be iron sharpening iron. We're supposed to be learning from and helping each other grow. And so maybe they are right. Maybe they're not right, too. But maybe they are. So we can take that away and chew on it. But as we chew on what they say, we have to make sure that we don't fixate on what they say. We have to be able to release the judgments of others toward us. 
We want to listen to truth from others that might help us grow, but we don't want to stay stuck in believing what they think of us. Um, because that, that can be detrimental. It can be, you know, you can get it in your head. Um, it can actually work both ways, for flattery or for criticism. I mean, look at, um, you know, Jesus is the perfect example because he knew, don't take others' opinions or their expressions t too much to heart. Listen to them, but don't be swayed by them. Uh, because he knew, I mean, we saw in his life that one week, Palm Sunday, they're yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, glory to God in the highest. And they're saying this to him, but one week later, what were they shouting out? Yeah, crucify him. So it can swing, other people's opinions of you can go from one end to the other. Learn from people, but don't get stuck and hung up on their opinion of you or their judgment of you. In fact, instead of that, believe what God believes about you. Believe his view. God, what do, what do you believe about me? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's what Romans says. If God, if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Believe that about yourself. And believe this too. God made him who had no sin for us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when God looks at you, that's what he sees. He sees the righteousness of God. So no matter what somebody else's view of you, whether it's an exalted view of you or a very low view of you, um, God's view of you is what we really have to listen to. Another thing in peacemaking um, that I think really helps, and I think that this colors the way we treat someone, is if we um, try to look behind the behavior and look for the root of this. What do you think is behind this? Um, what, what do you think is underneath this? A lot of times there might be fear. There might be hurt behind this. Uh, this uh, author, another Quaker author, Peter Phillips, says, most people who act out do so because they are not getting something they need. Usually it's not merely attention. It might be dignity, affection, respect, sense of belonging or having been heard. You know, it's easy to see the behavior that's displayed. It may be harder to see the unaddressed need that gives rise to that behavior. And that must be addressed for the behavior to stop. Perhaps the best question to ask when observing and assessing an interpersonal conflict are, what does that person need that she's not getting? And does our group have a role in providing it? I thought that was pretty wise. Um, and it, it also is a, it's, it's a, it's a lens of grace to say, what's behind this? This isn't the real you. Um, you're just having a bad day. You're acting out. The, the, the real you is the righteousness of God. We want to believe the best about other people. That's the next thing is... Um, this same author said, each disputant in a conflict is usually acting in good faith. No one gets up in the morning with the intention of being contemptible. So believe the best about the other person. He says both views deserve 
respect and empathy. And in 1 Corinthians it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Look at how Jesus was. For a long time I struggled with this, what Jesus said on the cross, one of the things he said on the cross that kind of bugged me. Because he said, Father, forgive them for they, they, they know not what they do. And I thought, they know exactly what they're doing. They are crucifying him on purpose. They are, but you know, Jesus loved us so much and he believed the best about other people that he thought, you know what, they don't really know. They don't really know what they're doing. If they really knew, th there's no way they would do this. But that takes a very elevated level of peacemaking and of believing in the other person. Believe the best about somebody else. It'll help in conflicts. Another thing um, is uh, to choose grace. Uh, we're talking, kind of moving into this grace idea. But choose grace to break the cycle of offense and take steps toward forgiveness. I'm not saying forgiveness is quick and easy. A lot of times it's, it's like an onion. There's layers to it. Um, and I'm not saying that uh, you forgive somebody and you have to trust them. Um, but, but there is a way to break the cycle of offense. And I was really in, uh, marked by a book I read a number of years ago by John Bevere called The Bait of Satan. And in this book, he talks about uh, um, how Satan just loves, he loves to get people offended. He just, he uses that. It's like his bait to hook people into division, division between each other. So he says, here's how this, he uses this cycle. If we're aware of it, we're told that we're supposed to be, don't be unaware of Satan's schemes. So this is one of his schemes. One of his schemes is that he'll use some kind of offense where, um, somebody wrongs me, somebody does something either real or perceived, um, and I get hurt and offended. And instead of extending grace or working through it and going through a peacemaking process, I hold a grudge. And I just, I remember that. In fact, every time I see that person, I remember, oh yeah, I remember when they did that against me. They were so wrong. And then, if I have to be around them, a lot of times, more things will pile up. It'll gain momentum. It'll snowball. You know, it'll be, they'll, they'll do other things that kind of bug me too. And that'll just add to it. And it will reinforce how right I was. And then I will justify myself for, for how I feel. And, and, and I put that person on a quiet list of people that I just don't connect with them. I don't like them. I don't connect with them. And, um, and there's just this sense of justification in myself that I know I was right in that, and they were definitely wrong. And over time, because I didn't deal with it or address it or try to make peace, my heart just gets really cold. I just get cold toward that person. And that's it. End of story. And there's no oneness. There's not one love, one whatever, let's get together and what. There's none of that business. It's just cold, because I've written you off. So um, he, in this book, if you're ever, it's, it's a great book about, really about forgiveness, but it's that cycle. To be aware, don't break the cycle. Choose grace. Break that cycle of offense. Another thing that I think is important in, in peacemaking is the idea of being patient with steps toward progress. Um, because uh, a lot of times, I mean, I'm a, I like to get her done. You know, I, I do not, 
I don't really like processed things. I, I prefer, you know, the quick outcome. And, but, but a lot of times peacemaking is a process. And we have to be patient enough and, and stick with it enough. Um, in fact, I really liked this quote by Hugh Prather. Um, listen to, there's some good wisdom in this. By approaching my problems with what might make things a little better rather than what's the solution, I avoid setting myself up for certain frustration. My experience has shown me that I'm not going to solve anything in one stroke. At best, I'm only going to chip away at it. And in peacemaking relationships, especially if it's old stuff that's been there a long time, think in terms of what could I do to make it just this much better? Also, though, there are a few times um, I would say I'm going to I kept this in here because I do think there are certain times um, that we have to be willing and prayerful about when to walk away from a relationship. Um, and um, that doesn't mean that that's our first go-to. It's kind of a last go-to. But the Bible does give us this out. And I think it's, it's a really legitimate out. In, in Romans 12, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so it means do work at it, do make efforts toward it, pursue peace, um, try different angles, be patient with the progress. But there are some times when, um, when it's just, there's just no budging. Um, I have one relationship in my life right now who, there's a woman who I've tried and tried, I don't, I've tried so many angles. It's the same person that I used Mark Allen with as a peace, as a mediator. I don't know what to do, what else to do. I don't know how to, to be in relationship with her. And, but if, if God gives me the opportunity to try again, I will try again. But there's a time sometimes, once in a while, to walk away. Another part of peacemaking is checking in with the other person. Just almost like, okay, we're talking about this, we're talking about this, but wait, offline here, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Do you have something else you want to say? Is there more to this? Do we need a second time to get back together and, and take this further? Do you need some space? Um, checking in with the person, is there unfinished business? Um, that's a great practice for peacemaking. The last one, and by the way, good job on hanging in there. These are, do you see what I mean? Do you see what I mean by like dumping all these pieces out in front of you, like my shoe rack? You know, I mean, it's, if, when a shoe rack is complete, it's a lovely shoe rack. It really is. But there are a lot of pieces to it. There just are. But it's, what I'm trying to paint for you is it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, the last uh, piece is to consider the bigger picture. Um, I read some, some things from a book called When Conflicts Arise. And the one concept that really caught my attention was the difference between what they call conflict resolution and conflict transformation. Um, you know when, uh, growing up, I remember hearing my dad say, I just need a little peace and quiet. Uh, and there's a difference, though, between peace and quiet. You know, um, quiet is just like quiet the person down. In fact, sometimes my, you know, my dad would do this. He didn't even care what we were fighting about, us kids. You know, he just wanted it to be quiet. He didn't actually want to go through peacemaking with us because he was tired or whatever. He just wanted quiet. Um, and so sometimes in conflict resolution, in some ways what we're doing is just, just stop being hurtful. Just 
stop being abrasive and just would you be quiet and, and be kind of peaceable, at least externally. But peace is different than quiet. And conflict resolution, um, sometimes there's more to it than that. Conflict transformation makes us think of a bigger picture because the conflict transformation is this idea that maybe we both need to be changed from this. Maybe we both could learn something from this. Maybe we both could transform as a result of this conflict, become better than we were. Maybe even our community could grow as a result of this conflict. And so not settling just for quiet, not settling just for uh, conflict resolution, but conflict transformation and actual changes that might last and make a difference. So are you all excited now? Are you like, oh, we're so ready to be peacemakers? Um, I, uh, I have to warn you that, uh, that in peacemaking, <laughs> um, when I started, there is a, sometimes there's a warning to peacemaking. It, it isn't always easy or pretty, and it takes energy. And when I started preparing for this talk, no lie, I started preparing for this about a month ago, and it seemed like all around me, conflicts started arising that I had no control over. And I was, I was like, what is going on? I'm a peaceful person. What the heck? I had uh, people fighting with other people. I mean, I had people in my life, close to me, near me, I mean, just where I'd be like, what is, let me get away from this. I was walking for a quiet time by myself around Sloan's Lake while I'm preparing for this, praying, being by myself. And there were two homeless people that attacked each other 10 feet from me. The one came up and knocked the one down and kicked him in the face. And so I went over and I interrupted this fight. And I'm walking off going, really, Lord? Really? I mean, really? What is with all this crazy conflict? Sometimes um, when we are trying to grow in something, like peacemaking, um, it can be messy. And, there can, and be ready for it. But I guess one other thing, going back to um, my other ministry, um, at the end of somebody's life, um, when, uh, when someone is dying, um, what I do see happen, which I, which I really like, um, is when someone is dying, a lot of times these petty differences just kind of melt away. And the families will be like, okay, yeah, we've been fighting for sometimes years. And sometimes in light of that person who's dying, um, these differences just, our pride melts away and you say, yeah, I guess it's really not all that important. And you know, in light of Christ dying, um, I think there's also some ways that we can look at each other and say, well, I guess it wasn't that big of a deal. I guess I can let go of that offense. I guess I can just, because Christ himself, he modeled being the ultimate peacemaker. There's a beautiful verse that says in Ephesians, but now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He died so that we can L-I-P, live in peace. Um, that is what this is all about. My mentor, Dr. Bill Ezekian, back in Chicago, 
He said, every time you look at the cross, he said, the, the shape of the cross depicts what it's all about. He said, the, uh, the vertical beam um, depicts peace between us and God. And the horizontal beam depicts peace between us and other people. That's what the cross is about. That stayed with me. And so as you come and receive the peace of Christ, um, he is our peace, and he has broken down every wall. And so at, remember that as you come forward and receive this. Uh, the dark cups are wine, and the light cups will be juice. Um, dip the bread, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into one of the cups. Both are the peace of Christ for you.
that song. So thanks to both Vince and Nate. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I was thinking a little flash of a verse came in my head as I was sitting there thinking. And it, it's a verse that talks about equipping the saints for every good work. And I'm hoping that some of this will be equipping the saints for every good work so we can go and become better peacemakers, that we can learn this art and that we can let our feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace so that wherever we go, we're bringing peace with us. We make the place a more peaceful place by being there. Um, we have a humility, we have a soft heartedness. Um, we, we are peacemakers. And um, I want that for me and I want it for you. I want it for our community. Um, but um, before we go, um, I thought that I should give you a chance to be bold. Um, and here's your chance. Uh, the chance is, the opportunity is uh, for you to, maybe while I'm talking, there's been somebody on your mind um, that you think, oh, yeah, this person. And it's come to your mind, and, and that maybe the Holy Spirit is you know, kind of nudging you a little bit, and maybe you don't know what you're gonna do about it but the person comes to your mind. And um, I'm gonna ask you in a moment to stand. You're not gonna share things with people. You're not gonna tell anybody who it is. It's, you know, just between you and God. But I'd at least like you to stand so that, um, kind of like you can own it and we can pray for you. Um, so, because we're all in the midst of this together. So if, if during this talk, if someone has come to your mind, uh, would you stand right now? I'm not the only one. Yeah, look around. You're not the only one either. Here's what I'm gonna have us do, all of us together. Um, we're gonna read a, a, a verse as a prayer for each other. And what I'd like us to do actually, just kind of um, in imparting peace to each other, is um, if whoever you're close to that's standing, if you know them at all, uh, Appropriately, if you could reach out, touch a shoulder, touch an arm, um, and just kind of feel the solidarity of, of us together that we need, we need this as a body. So grab somebody that you see. I want everybody to be touched that's standing. And then we're gonna read this, um, this verse, like I said, from Second Thessalonians um, as a prayer. Um, and then I'll close us with an additional prayer. So read this with me. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Lord, this is hard stuff. And, um, and there's stuff in us that resists, that, 
like the song says, we fight against it. We fight against wanting to let go of our offenses, wanting to let go and give into peace. Um, so would you melt us, please? Would you send your beautiful spirit of peace to equip us and enable us to be able to have peace and give peace and make peace? We need you, Lord, in order to, to live in peace. Amen.